Well, we're in a series on parables and miracles, and this morning we come to Jesus' parable of the fruitless fig tree. Let me just ask you a rhetorical question to start with. Do you have fruit trees on your properties? If you do, why did you plant them? Now let's look at the parable as found in Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. And he, Jesus, began telling this parable. A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vine keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir. For this year, too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if it does not, cut it down. The parable of the fruitless fig tree. What was the occasion or the situation that gave rise to Jesus teaching this particular parable? When we look at the verses that precede the parable, we see that a tragic event took place in Jesus' day, an event which both perplexed and shocked uh, the average Jew at that time. And if you look at verses 1 to 5 of Luke 13, you catch what happened. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, were they worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Perish. Pilate had ordered the murder of certain Jews as they were innocently worshiping God. I think for sure that the horrific massacre in New Zealand of Muslim persons who were innocently worshiping, 50 of whom were gunned down, many others wounded, is a modern day parallel to what the first hearers of this parable were coming to grips with. Well, be that as it may, Pilate ordered the murder of certain Galileans, Jews, who were innocently and peacefully worshiping God. And the gruesome result was that the blood of the humans commingled with the blood of the sacrificed animals. And those who first heard Jesus' parable of the fruitless fig tree had this outrage fresh in their minds when Jesus told them the parable. The outrage from this atrocity prompted some persons to bring two questions to Jesus. One was a religious question, and the other was a political question. The religious issue which was presented to Christ came from the teachings of the Pharisees which said that all tragedies were actually divine punishments for sin. 
This meant, in that particular worldview, that you needed to search for serious sins that were in the lives of the persons who were murdered by Pilate. Maybe you or people you know have made the similar assumptions about persons who you have seen experience very bad and perhaps fatal things happen to them. But please don't make that assumption. Bad things happen not necessarily to mean that God is punishing specific sin. A lot of the time, bad things happen to believers in Jesus because we all live in a fallen world. The pool that we all swim in has been polluted since Adam and Eve. And sometimes polluted water makes you sick, and other times polluted water kills you. So back to these Jews who firsthand had heard about Jesus' parable. These were persons who were sure that if Jesus came to reveal God, and a God was that harsh in punishing sin, then the God who revealed Jesus could be discredited, cut down to size, questioned, and seriously doubted. These persons who would have made that assumption and conclusion came to some ideas and positions that were untrue, all because they assumed that when bad things happen to so-called good people, that it's a result of God punishing sin. And that is not always the case. The water's polluted. Bad theology back then, as with bad theology today, leads to bad conclusions, and bad conclusions leads to bad behavior. So that was the religious issue. But there was also a political issue, and it was this. If those who questioned Jesus could get him to blame Pilate for the massacre, who, by the way, was to blame, then the Romans could charge Jesus with the crime of treason. And treason was punishable by death in the Roman Empire, and so perhaps they were sure they could get rid of Jesus politically. Now watch with me what Jesus said. Jesus answered that political dilemma. He corrected their bad theology by saying that not all calamities were punishments from God. And our Lord's point was that if it were true, if it were true that all calamities were judgments from God, then Pilate would have killed all the Jews since all of them were sinners. <laughs> no exceptions. Verses one to three. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Psalm 103, verse 3 was the case back in time of this parable, and Psalm 130, verse 3, remains the case this morning, which says, if thou, Lord, 
shouldest mark iniquities, who could stand? And so moving in the text from the case of the massacre at the Jewish temple, Jesus brought up another case to make his point. Jesus brought up a current event, the case of a tower collapse that had 18 casualties. By the way, reading the newspaper should be a lot more for the Christian than just getting the news. We should read the newspaper regularly to find illustrations between now and back when Jesus taught. Some of the best illustrations you'll get to share the gospel are ones you note in current events. So Jesus moves from the massacre at the Jewish temple to another case in the news back then, a case of a tower that wasn't yet completed. It was under construction, and for some reason it collapsed and killed 18 other workers, the construction workers. To correct those who questioned him's erroneous thought that all calamities are caused by persons sinning and God punishing, Jesus made the following point. If that were the case, then God would have killed all the Jews who were in Jerusalem and not just 18 construction workers on a tower since plenty more sinners than 18 were around. Verses four and five, Jesus' words. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 5, I just read, probably caused the persons coming to Jesus with their religious and political questions to be furious. (laughs) They were Pharisees. They were keepers of the rule book, the Monopoly game. They had the rules to the Monopoly game called righteousness in Judah and in all of the Jewish population. And these Jewish Pharisees were so twisted and deluded that somehow they felt that they themselves were not sinners, but that the rules they saw in the Old Testament law and then their traditions added on to those rules was what pointed out the sin in everybody else who was paying their checks, paychecks. And so so what Jesus said, you all are going to perish. You Pharisees are all going to perish unless you repent of your sins. Don't worry about the nation's sins. Worry about your sins, Pharisees. This is what led up to Jesus' parable of the fruitless fig tree, these realities. And so he comes to teach something that was desperately needed then and now, He spoke to extremely self-righteous Jews, and he speaks to extremely self-righteous Gentiles today that both need to repent and that if they don't repent, they'll perish. This tells me that hell is an equal opportunity jail. If you don't run to Christ for salvation as a Jew, you wind up there. If you don't run to Christ for salvation as a Gentile, you also wind up there. Doesn't matter whether you're a priest or a pauper, 
a ruler or a ragman, a Jew or a Gentile. Hell will lock up the person who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, not for a life sentence, but for an everlasting life sentence. That was a slap in the face to these old Pharisees. <laughs> Just a, maybe a punch in the mouth. And that caused them to be red-hot angry and revert to the question they had in the current events issues of those who died at the hand of Pilate in sacrificing and in the construction tower collapse. They came back as Pharisees, self-righteous Pharisees, to their question. Maybe it's your question. Why would judgment come on any persons who figure that they themselves are okay with God? Why would judgment come to the individual who's sure as shooting that they're okay with God? Jesus told the parable of the fruitless fig tree to answer that question. Verses six to nine, again, the parable. And he began telling this parable. A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard vineyard keeper, behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir. For this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if it does not, cut it down. Clearly, the owner of the vineyard in the parable and the owner of the fig tree was God. And the owner of the vineyard had planted a fig tree. <laughs> and he didn't plant it for decoration, and he didn't plant it for firewood. He planted it for figs. He wanted figs. And he wasn't unrealistic. He didn't look for figs on the tree after one year. He didn't look for figs on the tree after two years. He waited three years patiently for figs, and he got none. But alas, the fig tree was fruitless. And that was a sad visual aid, a sad metaphor, a sad picture of the whole nation of Israel at that time. I mean, God had chosen and established the nation of Israel from as far back as Abram. And God had made covenants with Israel, all of which were unconditional covenants except one conditional covenant, which was the Mosaic covenant, which was the law, the Ten Commandments. I mean, and God had answered Israel's prayers time and time and time again, whether they were in bondage in Egypt or whether they were in battles with Philistines and other nations in the Promised Land. God had answered their prayers. And God has sent them all kinds of prophets to call them to national repentance. They were a favored fig tree. 
And best of all, God had actually sent Israel as a nation her Messiah. And through him, had extended to them the call for repentance and righteousness. To be sure, the fig tree of the nation of Israel had tons of advantages. But you know what? Advantages are only really advantages if you take up upon them, take up upon them. You and I may know of persons who studied, sat for their national exams coming out of Bahamian high schools, and even were given academic scholarships in schools in Europe and America. And these students, for whatever reason, never enrolled in those universities. They had advantage due to the scholarship they had earned. But for whatever reasons, fear, not wanting to leave home, drugs, they'd never showed up at the university to claim their scholarship. An unclaimed advantage is not really any advantage at all. And the nation of Israel, pictured by this fruitless fig tree, had all kinds of advantages from God, but they didn't take up on any of them. And the predictable result in Jesus' parable was that the fig tree with unclaimed advantages had zero figs. (laughs) Zero figs. The last part of verse 7 clearly is a time of pronouncement of severe judgment. Verse 7. And he said to the vine keeper, behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Now here's the severe judgment. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Without argument, there had been a long period of unproductiveness, spiritual unproductiveness in the nation of Israel. And the barrenness, the spiritual barrenness of the nation could not be denied. Worthlessness of that state and condition for the nation of Israel was obvious as the nose on your face. And this dud fig tree took up space that could have been given over in the ground to a fig tree that would be fruitful. Again, I ask you, do you have fruit trees planted on your properties? Why did you plant them? Now, at this point, we need to make an important distinction. It's the distinction between Israel as a nation and Israel as a generation. The two are different. The fig tree potentially cut down in this parable was the generations of Jews who were alive when Christ was on earth giving the parable. The fig tree that was potentially cut down in the parable was not the nation of Israel as a whole because God is not done with Israel. The church does not replace Israel. One day God will fulfill all of his covenants which he made with Israel and not the church. One day Israel will turn back to God and believe on God's son, Jesus. For all these reasons that scripture predicts, the nation of Israel has a bright future, a bright future that is as bright as are the promises of God made to Israel. One day, 
in the future kingdom of Christ, Israel, believing in Jesus, will be fruitful and righteous. Now, in this parable, there was a vineyard keeper there in verse 7. And he said to the vineyard keeper, there was a vineyard keeper in this parable. And the vineyard keeper was none other than the Lord Jesus who was telling the parable. And when God the Father ordered that the fruitless fig tree be chopped down, God the Son, Jesus, asked if he could care for and fertilize the tree for one more year to see if it would become fruitful. The vine keeper, Jesus in, on our understanding, wanted a 12-month postponement to the chopping down of the fruitless tree. A time for the vineyard keeper, the Lord Jesus, to further give attention to the fig tree so it would bear figs. It was the generation of Jews who were alive on earth at the time of Jesus Christ that were the fig tree, fruitless fig tree, in this parable. And now we know that the request of the vineyard keeper was granted because in history, God's judgment against the fig tree, the generation of Jews alive at Jesus' time, did not come until the Romans conquered Jerusalem in A.D. 70, about 35 years after Jesus Christ's resurrection. So God gave the generation of Jews who were fruitless like a fruitless fig tree time 35 more years after Jesus' resurrection to bear fruit, to bear figs. And so I hope you recall that the question of the Pharisees, which originally prompted our Lord to teach the parable of a fruitless fig tree, was their question, why would judgment come on persons who see themselves as being fine with God? It came down to figs. It comes down to fruit. Back then, thinking that they were okay, they didn't yield the desired fruit, the figs. And thinking today that somehow we are okay with God without Jesus does also not produce the fruit of the New Testament that God expects. And so back then, God wanted figs, and today, God wants fruit. And so I ask myself as the servant leader of this congregation, I ask myself, is this church fruitful by Christ's estimation? And you should ask yourselves, if you're believers, is my personal life fruitful in Jesus' estimation? In the parable, the vineyard Owner expected figs. In the New Testament church age, which includes this day and age, the Savior wants fruit. In the parable, the vineyard owner deserved figs. It's his tree. (laughs) He planted it. And in the New Testament age up to today, the Lord Jesus Christ deserves fruit. He planted us to give us spiritual eternal life And he expects us, deserves for us, to have fruit. You say, okay, pastor, can you be more specific? What is fruit in these days in which we live? What is fruit? 
Well, probably the first thing that jumps into your mind is the fruit of the Spirit, and that's good. Singular fruit, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, watch it, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. It's like if you took a mango, a ripe mango, and you just rotated it slowly. You'd see different aspects of the mango as you rotated it slowly. The fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit of God wants to produce in you as a believer, as you let him control you, is spun around on the axis of the verses of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and there are nine dimensions on the same fruit. God redeemed you expecting that fruit. But that's not all. That's the fruit of the Spirit, singular. Let's think about biblical fruits, plural. Are there any places in the New Testament that give us what God says are fruits that he expects on our redeemed lives? Yeah. First, God says that it's a fruit to have a developing Christian character. You can look up 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8 on your own time. Second, a spiritual fruit is a life of good works. Colossians 1.10 and Ephesians 2.10. Third, those who come to Christ because of our witness to them of the gospel. That's fruit. Romans 1.13 and 1 Corinthians 16.15. There's more. Another fruit that God expects in my life, that my lips would give him praise and thanks. We read of that in Hebrews 13, 15. And last, the New Testament says, another biblical fruit is our monetary offerings to the Lord. The money that we elect in love and faith that God will supply our financial needs, that is fruit. So God expects you, if you're a Christian, to have fruit, just like he expected the fig tree of Israel to have figs. And the fruit that God expects for us as his blood-bought children involves the fruit of the Spirit and those five different fruits I just raced through. So how's your fruit? (laughs) How's my fruit? The parable? And he began telling this parable, a certain man had a fig tree, which he had planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir. For this year, too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if it does not, cut it down. How's my fruit? How's your fruit? The Lord Jesus back then expected fruit from the Jews of his day. And the Lord Jesus continues to expect fruit from each of us in our day. The Jews had enough time to produce fruit, and we've had enough time to produce fruit. 
We house the Holy Spirit of God in us full-time, 24-7, 365Y. No Jewish believer in the Old Testament could say that. The Spirit of God only visited Old Testament believers for great exploits that God wanted them to do, David and Goliath. Joshua on the walls of Jericho coming down. The danger for Israel was to be cut down. That is set aside until the millennial kingdom. The danger for us is to be cut down with respect to reward at the beam of the judgment seat of Christ. Sometime after the church is raptured, an event in heaven will take place where every true Christian, one by one, stands before Jesus and he evaluates their ministries. The quality, not the quantity, the quality of their ministries. Your ministry is going to be evaluated at the beam of the judgment seat of Christ. And either Jesus is going to deem our ministries rewardable Or unrewardable. Wood, hay, and stubble when applied to fire, or gold, silver, and precious stones when fire will not burn them up. And so the Jews had enough time to produce spiritual fruit. We have enough time to produce spiritual fruit. The danger for Israel was to be cut down as a generation from seeing the kingdom of Christ on earth. The danger for the church is to appear one by one before Jesus and he says nothing to reward. And some people who are busy in ministry will have nothing to reward. You know why? Because their motives are wrong. And God judges the heart. Now before I sit down, I want to read with you verses 8 and 9. And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if it does not, cut it down. You know, God is both gracious and merciful. God gives us grace. He gives us the good we don't deserve. And God is merciful. He withholds the bad that we do deserve. God is gracious and merciful. And in the parable, an extra year was extended to the fruitless fig tree. And in our lives, perhaps beyond today, more life may be extended to you past today. I don't know. I could leave the church and get hit by a car or a jitney and go to be with Jesus before I get home for lunch. I don't know how much more time I have to serve Christ. Neither do you. Because it's not a matter of genetics, how long your grandmother lived. And it's not a matter of vitamins or exercise. Nothing wrong with those things. But when our time is up, our time is up. And it may be a lot sooner than you think. Only God himself knows if he will spare us additional days to today. Only he knows. And so let's together maximize the days that will be given to us going forward. Let's determine to be fruitful. Let's determine to exhibit, to display 
display, to showcase love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Only possible as we allow the Holy Spirit to control us. It's not getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's not getting more gas in the tank of your car. It's the Holy Spirit getting more of you. So it's not the amount of gas in your tank in this metaphor. It's a driver behind the wheel. Who's driving your life? You in your flesh or the Holy Spirit. And that's a moment-to-moment proposition. And so let's, if God grants us more days beyond uh, March 17th, let's determine to be fruitful. Let's determine to show developing Christian character to doing good works unique to each of us, to leading persons to Christ by sharing the gospel, to verbally praising and thanking God, and to giving money to the Lord and to his church called Calvary Bible Church or the church that you come from if you're a visitor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are not Jews. At least I don't think we are. But their shortcomings resemble ours. You had given every right to demand figs. You had that right from Israel, and you still have the right to command the fruit of the Spirit and biblical spiritual fruit from each of us and know you. Please forgive us, Lord, for the times when we fail to be fruitful. Please pardon us, Lord, for the ways in which we are fruitless. Thank you, Lord, that you are still working with and on us. And in the language of the parable, thank you that you are still fertilizing us. We're grateful for that. Thank you that, like the fig tree, got an extra year of grace. We are graced with an amount of time known only to you to get fruitful before we one by one stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ. Holy Spirit, consistently take full control of me and of all of us. We want to live out noticeably more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Help us to stop believing the lie that you are okay with us not exhibiting fruit. And equally, Lord, help us to stop accepting as normal a chronic lack of biblical fruit in our lives. Lord Jesus, please cause fruitfulness to be attractive to us. And please cause fruitlessness to be repulsive to each of us. And we ask these things in the name of the precious Savior who gave the parable of the fruitless fig tree. Amen.